Good afternoon, Rich Nass, Executive Vice President with Open Systems Media and leader of the Embedded Computing Design Franchise, where we talk about anything and everything that is of interest to an embedded designer developer. I am here for this week's Embedded Executive Podcast. This week, my Embedded Executive is Rob McCormick, who is a director at InnoPhase. Hello, Rob. How are you? Hi, Rich. Very well. Thank you. Good. So from what I know about InnoPhase, um, you guys are leaders in the Wi-Fi space, and you're doing some pretty cool things with Wi-Fi. And the last thing that I saw was that you're looking at power levels that are potentially where we see Bluetooth power levels. So if I got that right, my question for you is, are we pulling a radio out because we don't need Bluetooth anymore because we could just do what we wanted to do with Wi-Fi? So a great question. And first of all, thank you for having me on the the podcast. And uh, so regarding BLE, I I think for me, I I see there's different applications and functionality for uh, these different wireless communication technologies. And and BLE is great for personal area networking. So, you know, connecting your your smartwatch to your phone or uh, connecting your your phone to your, your, um, your smart lock and opening the door. Uh, but the, there's a little bit of a, a drawback, which is you can't get to the cloud. So with a BLE connection, you can't get an internet connection. You can't get that cloud connectivity. And you're, you're kind of unable to utilize the, the cloud processing that has become really a cornerstone for all of our devices that we see in terms of the applications today. Okay, but it, you didn't answer the question, I don't think. Why do I need Bluetooth anymore? So uh, it's interesting because in our application, we actually, we tout low power Wi-Fi, but we also include BLE. And the reason we include BLE is that we're getting into small IoT devices that don't have a keypad, that don't have any type of input method. And what you would do is you would utilize the BLE there to connect to your smartphone and provision the device. So it, it has uh, additional application. Uh, I don't see us getting rid of BLE. I see us providing it and complementing it to some extent. And we're able to, to get that cloud connectivity. But, but again, we use BLE for initial setup and like punching in the Wi-Fi um, characteristics and information, or maybe putting a, a name on a device like this is my attic thermostat or something like that. So you could identify the device. Uh, and that's what we use BLE for in the initial setup. And then we would shut that down and, and turn over completely to a Wi-Fi connection. Okay, so I'll, I'll stop badgering you about that. Um, with respect to the Wi-Fi, what sort of power are we talking about? You know, it's interesting that you mention it on the levels of, of BLE and, and, and to some extent Zigbee. Uh, we are able to connect in those type of levels and, and get that you know, internet connection, Wi-Fi connection at similar levels. We've talked to many customers that are utilizing uh, Zigbee uh, to try and have a a low power battery based connection for uh, maybe a sensor device or some sort of uh, call it maybe a a smart lock or home automation device. And and it's in those typical levels. It's in a similar level. Uh, But again, it's this cloud connection. It's a direct to cloud connection. It's using Wi-Fi. It doesn't require this additional 
um, gateway or hub. Uh, and we see Wi-Fi as being ubiquitous. I mean, maybe it's not 100%, you can't find it out in the woods, but uh, anywhere you're, you're typically going where you're going to use some sort of connection, uh, homes, businesses, um, uh, commercial places, uh, malls, you're going to have all types of uh, Wi-Fi connectivity. So we see us being able to connect and utilize that, that Wi-Fi connection as opposed to having to install an additional hub, gateway, router, another device, and additional cost and overhead to uh, manufacturers. And where are you in terms of compatibility? Do I have to upgrade my router? No, no, not at all. Uh, direct connectivity, um, you know, 802.11 uh, BGN standard uh, would utilize uh, all of the existing Wi-Fi technology. So no additional upgrades necessary. And are, are you scaling back? And what I mean by that um, is a particular bandwidth related to a particular power level, or is it full speed all the time and still maintain that low power? Uh, it's part of the standard where you you modify the speed based upon the, the RF connection that you have. Uh, we are able to, when in a better network environment, uh, provide better speed, ends up being a, a more efficient in terms of current consumption as well. Uh, so it, it's relatively standard along those lines. Um, but what we do is uh, we've implemented a, a very unique radio, and it's a, a digital polar architecture, which has not existed in the past. It, it's a completely unique architecture that is extremely efficient in the RF signal processing. So we end up having a, a lower current consumption, even at, at a competitive uh, throughput level. All right, I was just about to let you off the hook and then you said something pretty interesting. <laughs> what is digital polar? Digital polar, so, um, and that's where it becomes unique. Uh, so you have a polar architecture. So in, if you go back to your uh, geometry days, you can do X and Y to get to a, a data point, um, but you could also do it uh, via an angle and an amplitude. So um, you, you can either do it in polar which has been around forever, or X and Y, which in the radio space is called I and Q. So we do it in polar. We, we get the, the phase angle, and then we get the amplitude uh, in order to get these, uh, the, the QAM, quad, quadrature amplitude uh, modulation data point. Uh, basically, it's a bunch of ones and zeros in, in an RF signal uh, to pass the data. Uh, but we do it in polar. And, and polar radios have been around. Many of them have been in, in an analog implementation, and they typically were too high a power, so they ended up getting thrown aside because the, the digital INQ uh, was better and more efficient. Our implementation is, is very different. It's a, a digital polar. It has blocks that I've never seen before, and I've been in the semiconductor industry my entire life and the RF industry, and these blocks that came out, I was like, wow, I've never seen that. That's really pretty interesting, and being able to combine a, a group of functionalities into a single digital block. Um, and this is all done in standard CMOS. Uh, you know, there's nothing fancy about it. There's all these other new, um, you know, type of CMOS process technologies. This is standard CMOS. It's like a, they do for FPGAs. And we've basically implemented a radio technology in there. So uh, digital polar, and that's the reason why we say digital polar, because analog polar existed in the past. Um, but this digital polar implementation is unique and is delivering uh, power levels in, in competitive technologies um, uh, versus competitive technologies 
uh, in much smaller process technology, uh, CMOS technology nodes. Okay, I'm not afraid to admit that that made my brain hurt. <laughs> um, but from the designer's perspective, who might have the same reaction as me, do they need to know any of that? Or is, is this a black box that they put on their board as if it was last year's Wi-Fi? And, you know, if you're talking to the RF expert, he's going to be pretty excited and, and ask some questions. And then, of course, he's going to put it on his uh, current meter and test it out and, and make sure that what we're saying is true. But uh, most everybody else, it, it's a plug-in. We, we have standard modules. You put power and ground on it, um, you know, and then you get IOs and you're able to basically connect into your system and, and get Wi-Fi data and cloud connectivity. Uh, without having to know all the, the cool ins and outs. The, the, in, the side that they're going to be interested in is, again, uh, being implement battery-based technology and, and having those batteries last uh, to a level that we, we expect uh, the consumers to see. You know, it's something that's a one month of battery life isn't going to be very exciting. Something that's one year or two years of battery life feels like that's going to be uh, over the threshold of the consumer expectation. Any software updates needed? Uh, you know, we are a very software programmable solution. And if anything is needed, it is something that can be delivered over the air. And um, that's one of the advantages that we have is this digital architecture is very programmable. So when we're working through and we find optimizations and, and opportunities to enhance the device, it's something we can pass along and can be implemented over the air. Okay, so what's next? Are you seeing even lower power levels in the future? You know, there's new opportunities uh, to shrink the, the CMOS technology node that we have. Uh, there's right now our solution is a single band solution. So 2.4 gigahertz only. Uh, we're looking into the additional bands, uh, adding five gigahertz, uh, maybe even six gigahertz, looking into that as well. Uh, but certainly continuing along the, the low power uh, train, that's where we're going to be heading. So optimizations for sleep currents, optimizations for operating power, um, but absolutely along those lines to continue uh, driving in that innovation for the low power uh, wireless connectivity. That is good stuff. Thank you, Rob. I appreciate you taking the time to educate the audience. Well, thank you, Rich. I really appreciate the time. That was Rob McCormick. He is a director with Interface, and I am Rich Nass with Open Systems Media.